0: Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go.
1: Hello, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Today, let's talk about voice strategy. And so I got two experts on the topic on, on the line with me today Scott Westwater and Susan Westwater of Pragmatic Digital. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks, thanks for having us. And so, voice strategy—interesting topic. Everybody is talking about it, right? I mean, everybody is using voice technology. Um, I don't want to say any names out loud because then they all go <laughs> off. Um, but you know, certainly it's something I hear people do at my house nonstop as well. But so, when you guys talk about voice strategy, what what does that mean? What's what what's the definition?
0: So. When we talk about voice strategy, we're talking about the approach of how you're going to integrate voice into your brand. So um, rather than making voice this silo technology, we um, have come up with an approach to making sure that you're integrating voice into your ecosystem so that it works cohesively and um, coher- you know, consistently. The, um, the idea is we believe a lot in the idea of useful and usable um, It's not just having voice as a novelty, but it is what are the useful and usable ways that you can add voice to your brand that's going to improve customer experience.
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds so simple.
2: <laughs> it, it, it's a very simple concept, very hard to pull off. Yes. I mean, as, as like anyone that's worked in content and marketing knows, mm-hmm. you know, it's really about understanding what your audience is looking for and trying to create content that's relevant for them. It's even more important in the voice channel because if people aren't asking for that content, your skill or your action or your content just isn't being used. So here it's really critical that you understand what your audience is looking for all the way along the journey. And ultimately what you're trying to do is help them get to that next stage. So it's not necessarily always about purchase. It might be about awareness or it might be about retention or whatever the case might be. Um, We like to say that all businesses know where they're pain points are and where their struggles are. And what we like to do is work with those internal SMEs that know where those pain points are and actually figure out where voice can uniquely solve the problem. Being kind of a replacement technology, we really see it as working with, you know, your whole ecosystem uh, that you've already established.
1: Mm -hmm. Make it part of it. So as I'm, uh, let me give it a first shot and you can correct me where I'm wrong or where I'm missing something. But just top of my mind here, I'm seeing like really three applications of voice, right? One is um, the voice, I'll call them devices, Mm -hmm. right? I know Amazon calls it that, the devices um, that I have in my house. And I say, you know, um, good morning. And then they say, good morning. Here's your routine, blah, blah, blah. And I've even seen there's, now, now, there's um, now groups, right, on Facebook where people say, can I do this and how do I do that and why is it doing that? So it's, uh, that is certainly an area that's evolving. And then secondly, uh, we have voice search, mm-hmm. right, and whether that's done on uh, Safari or through um, Siri or any of those things. Um, But basically, you're looking for something and you're saying it as opposed to typing. And then the third one that comes to my mind is also the voice production. Um, And that's kind of, Scott, where where we ran into Mm -hmm. each other, right? Because I've um, voice dictated to transcription a lot of my content. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've kind of moved away from that a little bit this year. Um, But those are the the three things that come to my mind. Any others that we need to talk about before we dive in?
2: Yeah, so you're spot on with those three. And then there's a few others. So the idea of uh, voice enabling your mobile application is a huge um, opportunity for people that have existing apps to actually add in that layer um, to make it easier for people to either find the information they're looking for or interact with your app. And then ultimately, you also have... Um, like a kiosk type application or a drive through at the restaurant application. Um, I think one of the things that people don't realize is this is going to be as pervasive as mobile. And and in my mind, it's actually going to be bigger because it's actually not going to just be a device that you walk around with, but it's going to be the way we start to interact with these digital devices. So, you know, your home will be wired for a voice and whether it's an Alexa device or it's a Google device or some part, third party that we don't know of yet, you're going to be able to, you know, basically ask for information, make commands and actually have your home respond, your car respond. (coughs) So it's actually going to be a really, really big part of culture, you know, moving forward. And we've already seen data that shows that it's already starting to happen. Mm hmm.
1: So the interesting point about the mobile apps. Um, Is is there actually work involved for the companies? Or is, I mean, doesn't the iPhone just allow you to
2: talk? So through Siri, you could go through and do some basic search. And obviously, Apple has their ecosystem pretty locked down. There's really no way to create a third-party experience or what we refer to as a third-party experience, which would be a voice app. Um, Now, what you can do... Um, there's a couple of companies that have actually created um, software languages and APIs that you can actually add on top of your existing app. And so mm-hmm. like an e example, like if you wanted to find a, a certain kind of shirt, you could actually use voice through that application to find the exact shirt you're looking for versus using the navigation and digging deep or even just doing search. So there are going to be ways that you can voice enable applications to make the, the functionality even quicker. Um, and especially when you're looking for like lookup information, um, if you're integrating with databases and and really trying to find product information, especially, I think it's going to be a really strong use case.
1: Mm -hmm. And you know, one of my favorite use cases personally, and marketers would care about this. I would think, um, in that scenario is actually the Google Mm
0: app.
1: Um, I don't know if you, Google analytics Mm -hmm. app, and I don't know if you used that before, but you go in there and you can say, um, In the last year, how many return visitors have done whatever? And then it tells you, and it's super cool.
2: And it's things like that, that just make it so much easier versus you needing to log into your dashboard and dig through the data and try to figure it out. Like literally being able to speak commands and have it actually give you the information you're looking for. It's almost like having another person there doing the data retrieval for you, but it's all happening virtually.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So, um... You know, the other thing I need to write down here, yeah, actually, we should talk about a lot of times um, voice, they don't hear me. It's like um, my spouse. No, I didn't say yeah. that, right? <laughs> but it's like somebody else's spouse. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't hear me. Like, for example, if I say content marketing, I swear it never hears that correctly. And I don't even want to say some of the ways mm-hmm. it hears oh, that. Sure. Um, you know, why Why does that happen? Is it me or or is it... The technology. So it's
0: it's not you. Um, part of it is the learning aspect of the the way that all everything works. It goes through natural language processing and recognition. And while the effort has been made to make sure that it can learn, and accuracy um, continues to improve, uh, we we joke a lot about that we use our children to do a lot of our testing, um, only because children have a tendency to have different. Um, pitch and timber, and also just their um, intonations are very different. Um, It all comes down to learning all of that. And that's also where the artificial intelligence comes into play when it comes to uh, the assistants, uh, the virtual assistants and the speakers. And so it just has to continue to keep learning. And as it learns that it should get better. But where we are today of where that's at, um, while so much work has been put into getting us to hear, and and I always want to acknowledge that, There's still a ways to go, Um, especially when we start adding in accents and different pronunciations and just regionally in the United States, let alone then adding in English as a second language. So all of those come into play. And that's sometimes why it doesn't hear you. Um, And they try really hard, actually, as we're developing um, experiences. We think a lot about what we call error handling to help someone not feel like they've said something wrong or that it's their fault um try really hard to make sure that way then it's a matter of um trying to get someone to either speak more clearly so that the the system can understand but again working really hard and not putting the fault on the user it's more of the technology can only go so far and it's going to keep growing but here's where we are today
1: yeah that would drive me crazy if the device would say um please use right. proper north american right. pronunciation it it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the it's like the chatbots that say, um, we don't know that word, please use a different word. And I'm like, that is totally the proper word. Right. Um, but anyway, that's a whole different um, discussion. <laughs> yeah. um, so when we talk about, let's, let's kind of walk through some of these um, topics. So voice devices. So I don't even have one in my house. I, um, I um, got one um, way back when, which I don't know how long ago that was, maybe two years for the car. Um, it, it was, I don't know. Spent like thirteen thousand Delta points or something like that, and it was really kind of hard to use, you know. And I set up my briefings and blah blah and all mm-hmm. those different things. And I thought I had it all figured out. And every time I would say the what I thought were the keywords, um, like every time I would just go, and here's the latest from one oh five point nine the faint mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. the numbers are. Um, and I would just repeat that. I was like, well, that's just a pain. It doesn't plus I'm <laughs> right. Um, so there, so there is some learning curve, right, to get these things to work for the consumer and also for, for the uh, companies, I guess, to get on them.
2: Well, if we do our job right as voice creators, it's actually more on us than it is on the end user. Um, this is really the first time in, in history of technology where you should be able to say something to one of these devices and it should be able to understand what you said and not only understand it, but if it's capable of doing it, it should actually do it. So it's very different than learning like the command line or like, uh, you know, how to use Mac or Windows or whatever. Um, So that's really on the development side and the creative side to make sure that we're actually accounting for all the different ways people will request different things. And I think part of the problem right now is because we're in its infancy with voice, um, there's a lot of people that are really just kind of starting out on the development side. And we haven't had enough time to actually learn how our audiences are interacting with these devices. And this is even, you know, true of Amazon and Google. Um, I know, you know, we're we're looking at analytics. We're looking at ways to optimize things and continually improve things. And I can tell you that, you know, even in the past two years, uh, both the Alexa platform and the Google Home or Google Assistant platform have gotten a lot more robust and a lot more capable. And so it's, you know, kind of this, this approach, where we need to continually be optimizing to make sure that what you what you experience doesn't actually happen. So, you know, part of it is just understanding what a flash briefing is and like what the routines are, and you know, good morning, good night, and things like that. But beyond that, there there should be a way to have um, an open language that people should just be able to um, understand, or the devices should be able to understand, really anything that you're saying. And so again, it's more on the technology side and on the um, creation side, uh, that's, that's really our, our issue that we need to resolve um, to continue to not only get people to be able to use these devices, but then trust them and actually want to go back and continue to use them. Because ultimately, I do think they will make people's lives easier. We just need to make sure that that value exchange is there so they actually understand um, what people are actually asking for.
0: Another interesting point to also know is, um, I know that you're talking about not having a voice device, but if you have a smartphone, you technically have a a, a voice device. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's an important thing Mm -hmm. to know is that you can actually use the assistants, um, which is, you know, the Google Assistant or Amazon Alexa. Um, You can use them just using your phone. You Mm -hmm. don't have to have those speakers. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the things that's been very interesting is people try to just, put their head around the idea of this whole idea of controlling things with your voice is that there is a tendency to lay on the the speakers a little bit and and, and associate it with that. Um, Part of that also is because Amazon and Google have done a a really bang-up job of letting you know that those speakers exist. Uh, The thing to know, though, is that you don't need to have them and the world that we're looking at will eventually be where we know that car manufacturers are now building those assistants. And it's not just Google and um, Amazon Alexa, but their own assistants in your vehicles that should work better. And as we learn, we're able to optimize. Um, It then comes back down to the idea of when you launch any of these experiences, you can't launch it and leave it. You have to continually refine and optimize. And I've seen anywhere from a couple of weeks to almost three to six months where you finally start to really get it right. Just because this is virgin territory of how is someone going to talk to my brand or how is someone going to talk to this um, talk and use these commands to come up with this task? We have to continually refine it. So that way then yes, all of the options are covered off on because consumers always are going to do something different than we expect. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so from a production side, I mean, I, I'm, some people say I, I'm technical, but I'm not technical at all. Um, and even I figured out how to have, you know, I think two or three Alexa skills out there. Um, so it's not totally difficult to do it. doesn't mean anybody's listening to it. I was actually trying to look up my stats while we're talking. <laughs> I can't find them. Um, but the the actual act of me getting my podcast, like this podcast, right, is distributed to um, as an Alexa skill, so it's my book, and and oh, and I think mm-hmm. those are the two main things. Um, the, actually, setting that up wasn't very hard, right? But getting people to listen to it certainly um, is a little bit harder. Um, the email that you guys have, I actually I don't, I'm trying to open it here, Scott, but your email at the bottom, it also says flash briefing, Alexa launch, mm-hmm. pragmatic talk. Um, so that's one way to, I mean, to make sure people even think about that, right? To yeah,
2: it. it's very much like the early days of the web or the early days of mobile applications where we actually have to tell people not only where to go, but why they actually want to go there. And so when you create these voice experiences, like Susan said, you can't just leave them <laughs> there and hope that someone finds it. Um, you really need to do everything to leverage your paid own and earn channels to actually make sure that people understand it. So much like what we had to do in the early days of the web, where it was like you know, adding the URL to direct mail pieces, adding it to TV commercials, adding it to print ads, just kind of repeating that so people understand that there's this thing on the internet they can go to and you can get information there. Like that's literally the time we're in right now with voice. So not only do you need to create your experience, but you need to have a promotion and a launch plan in place so that when it actually is live, you're driving the traffic that can actually be meaningful and give you meaningful analytics. And we talked a little bit about voice search early on with Alexa as a platform. um, If you create a voice experience and people are going to it, over time, if someone asks Alexa a question and your skill actually has that answer, your answer is gonna be the one that surfaces. The only way that that happens is if you actually have repeat traffic, uh, it's deemed credible information, you're updating your skill regularly, things like that. Um, So similar to what you would see in the normal SEO ranking factors, but, like, that's a critical way mm-hmm. or that's a critical reason that you need to be promoting your skills so you actually get that, not only the, the use, but the traffic so you can actually learn how people are actually using it so you can optimize it as you move forward.
1: So we, we've seen that, um, or I've seen it at least uh, with a number of tests I ran, mm-hmm. podcasts show up yep. in search now, right? So when people search for things, um, podcasts show up, sometimes they show up higher than other things. And uh, same with like social media, right? Twitter feeds show up. And I had somebody the other day, they texted and they said, your tweet about the price is right, um, giving away Stanley Cup tickets. Of course, Stanley Cup is canceled this year, or postponed, at least. I think either one, right? One of those. And so um, I tweeted about that, how those tickets are worth $13,000, and they took the cash price. Um, And somebody said they got their Google News alert um, about whatever the topic was and my Mm -hmm. tweet was attached to the story. So not that I (laughs) want to devices right, but um at the end of the day, right, I would think at some point having uh content on on um voice devices will help with search as well.
2: Yeah. So Google actually did a couple things really interesting earlier this year or late last year, I think. Um they started indexing podcasts and FAQ pages on websites. And the reason they're doing that mm-hmm. is because right now there is kind of a, an absence of optimized content for the voice assistants, both on Alexa and on Google. So that's why a lot <laughs> of times when you ask questions about really big brands, the answer comes back either from Wikipedia or you get an answer that says, I'm sorry, I just, I don't know the, the information. And so it's really critical right now for brands to start investing in optimized content and podcasts being a great way to do it. Because not only can uh, Google index it, we can also play back podcasts through the Alexa device uh, simply by saying you know launch and then whatever in the podcast is. So a lot of people don't know that you can easily access podcast content that way as well. But the idea is um, with indexing of this content, if you type in a question or you use your voice to actually search and you're asking a full phrase, if that content exists within a podcast, Google is going to go, oh, I know the answer to it. It's in this podcast and play back the audio clip. So it, it's one of those things where podcasts were nice to have and a lot of brands kind of shied away from it because of you know the production costs and everything else. But now it's just going to be another type of content that you can use to engage with the top of your funnel to attract the right people. And it's going to be incredibly important for these voice assistant devices as well.
1: And, you know, of course, we had Max Brandstatter on the show a while back talking about how do you produce a podcast? Certainly, you can spend a lot of money, yep. but if you know what you're talking about, you yep. don't need to spend a lot of money at all because, you know, we use Anchor. Mm-hmm. Anchor is free. Anchor distributes it um, without me paying them anything other than right. giving them content. Um, so what other uh, – before we move on to the next topic here, what's, um, what other things should brands keep in mind as they're optimizing their content? For these um, the, devices. Other,
0: um, <clears throat> the other thing that they should be realizing is a lot of times we'll be talking to a client and they'll kind of, their eyes glaze over, or they start to get overwhelmed in the thought of there's this whole new channel. Oh my gosh, how do I even think about trying to get there? I, I'm still trying to sort out social and web. The good news is, is that chances are you've probably already started the work on your content because if you've been solving those problems in other channels, you have a starting point. Um, and that's, you can't just pick up your brand and plop it, any of that work into a voice experience, but you have an idea of what the problems you have been that you've been solving, but it also puts you in a position where you can start to identify problems you haven't been solving um, because you've done it really well somewhere else. You can put your resources towards, okay, how else can I make the customer experience better or how can I bring my brand into play? Another really important aspect is when you take the visuals away, can you see your brand? you know your brand? Um, And it's important to think about that because we can't use visuals to design our way out of voice experiences. So if the content isn't right um, from that perspective, then it's not going to get better by just throwing more things at it. So it's very important to think through um, just as you did your visual guidelines about what your brand's about, going through that whole audio brand exercise. Um, There's a lot of uh, studies that have been done and a couple that we know of where a good audio brand can actually improve your brand's perception. Um, And it can also um, start to rebuild that relationship because you are now working from an emotional standpoint as well. When you think about why you like someone, a lot of times that comes through in how they talk, um, how their, their voices, all of those phraseology, all of those pieces And that's where then you can start to explore that a little bit and put that in place. That's where your resources should go at first um, of making sure you get that right. And then you move into the the brass tacks of, okay, what are these messages? How am I delivering them? Because it's not 30-second spots. It's not 15-second spots. It is a dialogue. Even if right now it's a very question-answer or command-driven relationship, no one wants to hear um, a 30-second soliloquy about your brand it's going to be what they want to hear and it's very much a pull not a push type of uh, message
1: so uh, really what i heard there susan is that um you can you can put lipstick Mm -hmm. on a content pig but you can't put lipstick on um content a content pig that i mean content that's audio right because you can't make it you can't make it look better Um, that metaphor (laughs) fell a little bit apart at the end there but you know right because like that's and that is one thing I love about podcasts because so we're talking right and and yes we're all using our radio voice and yes we're on air but at the end of the day uh, we are a lot closer Mm -hmm. to authentic if not completely authentic actually than we are when we write something and 18 people edit it Fantastic. All right. Can we talk yeah, about voice search for a moment? So voice search is interesting to me. I blogged about that before, believe it or not. Uh, I'm actually, uh, that's w- one of my sessions at Content awesome. Marketing World this year. Um, and so the, the thing I did is I searched for, I so I use voice search mm-hmm. every once in a while. Depends what I'm doing, right? If I'm in an airport, which, which currently we're really not going anywhere, but um, you don't want to necessarily do that. Um, but it seemed to me, that when you search for something very high level, you only get one result. So that's like the thing some experts are hiding behind. Well, you only get one result. But when you search for something more longer tail keyword, right, like, um, so if I search for content principles, I get Wikipedia on search. But when I search for what are the best content marketing principles or content principles, I get a number of results, right, the number of articles, that talk about that topic very similar to, um, to uh, like a regular Google search. Honestly, um, what do you think? Of, what do you think of that? Is that am I am I the anomaly here, or is that how well, it really works? Well, with
2: the speakers specifically, it's one an- one question, one answer. And so um, regardless if it's a long tail query or just kind of a keyword query, you're basically only going to get one result. So the idea of a cert page just doesn't exist, especially on the speakers themselves. And even with these devices that have screens on it, which we refer to as multimodal, um, it's still really just going to be looking for the answer uh, to your question. And whatever it finds, it will actually return. So... I think first and foremost, um, everyone needs to know that we need to stop doing keyword-focused search strategies, and we really need to shift, if you haven't already, over to a long-tail approach. Uh, Because humans, when we ask questions, we don't just ask them in keywords or fragments. We ask them in full sentences. And so there's a lot of context. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of richness in there, um, which is quite honestly why Google added the BERT uh, technology to... Um, their search because they know that people are starting to do a lot more long tail and they need to give that nuance. So they're actually returning an accurate result. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so with voice search itself, um, Google uses obviously Google's platform, the Alexa platform actually uses Microsoft Bing. So even in and of itself, that starts to shift your strategy slightly. Um, and then on on Alexa specifically, like I kind of teased out before, there's actually three places, <clears throat> excuse me, that it looks for information, and it's like a tree uh, rings of a tree. So if you ask a basic search uh, query like "What's the weather?", "Traffic", things like that, it looks internally, knows the answer, and it just gives you your answer, and it's on, on you're on your way. If it doesn't know the answer in that kind of first ring, then it actually looks out to what we refer to as the Voice Web, which is really the Alexa Skill Store where all these apps actually exist. And so what it's doing there is it goes, all right, is there a, an Alexa skill that has this information? Not only does it have the information, but are people using it? Are people going back to it? Are, is the information updated regularly? Um, is it deemed credible effectively? And over time, if it actually finds that information, when that, someone asks Alexa that question, your information comes up. So it's really important to kind of know that that nuance is going to have a huge impact on organic search because you're basically not going out to the web. You're just getting information from these skills. If the information doesn't exist there, which is really the reality of today, um, then it actually goes out to the web. And most of the results are coming from Wikipedia um, and Yelp. So based on a lot of the search um, research that we've actually done, um, it's pulling from the knowledge graph. It's pulling from whatever position zero is. And so if you can get into that knowledge graph, that's obviously the ideal. Um, And that's really where a lot of the web content comes from right now. But as you start to optimize for voice experiences and creating voice-like content, I think it's going to be very similar to what happened with mobile, where originally it was like you didn't even have to worry about it. And then it was a nice-to-have and all of a sudden it became a requirement and now you just have to have mobile optimized experiences make sure that the content loads quickly and all that stuff it's going to be very similar here we're 5 years down the road making voice as a as a key ranking factor is going to be a huge part of it you, you <laughs> forgot the panic stage Wait. Yeah, we needed. it. And the reality is like, in my mind, we're kind of in that 2011, 2012 timeframe right now before mobile applications really blew up. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, everyone wanted an app in three months. And so like, I think that's going to happen either next year or the year after where the CMO, CTO, CEO is going to be like, we need to be on these platforms. You need to get something up in three months. Like right now, the brands have a little bit of luxury of time where they can get ahead of it and continue to learn. Um, the adoption from the consumer standpoints, there, but like it's going to be one of those things where they're going to be scrambling. So, hopefully, you know, some of the people that are listening can actually start getting involved now um, and getting ahead of the curve because if you wait, it's going to be a repeat of 2013 and 2014 all over again.
0: I, I will say, though, that if you do want to see that panic mode, um, a lot of times what we'll do in talking with the client is we'll ask one of the devices to bring up their brand and tell us about it. Um, sometimes we even do a really large brand. And when that Wikipedia page comes up, you do see the fear in the eyes of, wait a minute, I have spent how much money cultivating this branding campaign? And now Wikipedia is telling someone what my brand is about, what just happened. Um, And so that's the beginning of the seeds of you need to, to manage that and, and care for it. And just, you know, just to be clear, the the reason why Wikipedia is coming up is not a malicious haha, we're just going to destroy their branding campaigns. Right. It has m- more to do with I, um, as a, an assistant, I can't just say I don't know that because then someone's not going to continue to use this technology. So um, the idea is that we're going to serve up Wikipedia in absence of an answer because that way then at least I am fulfilling the request that's being asked of me, which is tell me about this brand. And that's not a wrong answer. So the idea will be to let's control that answer better and, and craft it so that it is more consistent.
1: And it shows up. So how do I, everything is about measurements, right? Tell me how many mm-hmm. people are listening, how many people are reading, how many people are converting, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, Let's stay with the devices for a second. So if I, so I'm trying to rank for specific terms, and Alexa gives my answer—the mm-hmm. one and only answer, of course. Um, how how do I know that? that right happened?
2: now, you don't, and so I think that's part of kind of where we are as an industry. Um, a lot of the robust reporting isn't quite there yet, um, and even with voice search, like through Google Analytics, that data actually shows up as direct traffic. So it's not being shown as a voice request versus a, a traditional um, you know, keyboard input request. So I think you're gonna start to see more and more analytics possibilities um, over the next say six months to a year. Because really when you think about it from a platform standpoint, they were really focused on just getting this technology to work. And so they're like, I, I don't even know if we can get it to work. So we we didn't really focus on some of those other things yet. But as marketers and businesses start to, you know, get interested in it, obviously the the return on investment story is huge for them. And so you're going to need to be able to provide that. So there are some basic reportings that we can do right now. Um, Right now, there is no SEM rush or any tool like that to do search lookup on the voice devices themselves. Um, That's coming. I know people that are actually working on it. But... It's just one of those kind of early on realities, um, kind of like, you know, like with the driving traffic to the web, it's the same kind of thing from a reporting standpoint right now. But that will continue to evolve rather quickly. But there's also this whole other ecosystem um, that we're firm believers in long term where it's an open voice web, if you will, um, similar to what we experience on the regular web right now so that you can create content in one place and have it distributed to all these different platforms, whether it's a phone or a speaker or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a group called the Open Voice Network that we're actually a part of, uh, where that's their mission. They're trying to create open standards um, to help you know enterprises take advantage of this technology and really help it flourish.
1: And the other thing, you guys tell me your opinion on this. Um, it be interesting to see if you agree or disagree with me. Um, there's also value in just being able to say right i have an alexa skill mm-hmm. like the earned media and i mean i see it when i talk to clients or you know every once in a while i'm on, on on somebody else's podcast and they say well where's your book available and i say well you can get it on amazon it has its own podcast there's an alexa skill uh, it's just <laughs> Sounds like I know what I'm
2: doing. Well, I mean, the, re- the reality is there is cachet <laughs> you know? in it right now because there's so few people. And, and when I say few, you know, there's like 100,000 Alexa skills. But still, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's a pretty small percentage when you compare it to, say, websites <laughs> or even podcasts. Um, flash briefings are really interesting in that for every one flash briefing, there's 65 podcasts. So when you talk about audio content, and podcast content, that's a huge opportunity for you to become part of the morning routine of your audience. So they say, good morning, Alexa. It goes through the sports, the weather, whatever. And then if they've enabled your flash briefing, they'll hear your audio content. And you could literally do that on a daily basis. Yep.
1: And yep. it's relatively easy to do. Um, so let's talk about voice production. Um, so you you guys wrote a book, um, about voice strategy and you actually voice mm-hmm. dictated yes. the whole thing yeah
2: so it was one of those crazy ideas where we're like well let's let's try to eat our own dog food and if it doesn't work or if it fails miserably we'll just go back to the traditional way of doing it and um, Susan by trade is a, is a writer um, double English major like all that good stuff and I was a visual designer so like you know writing for me is a lot more difficult because it's just a f- different part of my brain but I can talk, you know, like, you know, with the best of them. So we tried it out and it started working and we're like, wow, this actually could actually work. So we had a really strong outline for the book and then we started dictating it. We also had some podcasts that we had already recorded, some video content that we recorded. So I started curating all of the content that would be relevant to the book. And then we used Rev to translate or transcribe um, a lot of that already recorded audio. But yeah, the dictation thing for me was a huge unlock because it allowed me to quickly get my ideas out. And obviously it was rough, but and you could always go back and polish it up. But at least the ideas got from my brain onto the screen, um, which for me would normally have taken, you know, weeks and here. It was taking, you know, days.
0: Yeah, we actually self-published and I believe it was a six-week timeline because um, we're crazy <laughs> and decided we need to get this out. Um, part of it was because we'd had a lot of folks ask us, "How do you, can you write in a book um, the culmination of your 20 years of advertising, marketing, strategy experience and how it works with voice now that you've spent two years hanging out with all of us? And so we realized that there was a need to get that out quickly. Um, so we didn't follow a traditional publishing plan. And this really did accelerate being able to get the content down into a point where then I could do the editorial. I will say, um, because we didn't intentionally create some of our content like off of our podcasts, the transcriptions did leave a little bit more uh, editorial work than probably is traditional. But it did make it so that I could craft it and get everything together pretty quickly and be able to get through that so that it told a story. It also ensured that it was also Scott's tone of voice, not just mine, because that was my biggest concern, seeing as I'm the writer, I'm writing along and then just adding his work. And it really did help me keep his language so that the final product res- um, reflects both of us, not just my style.
1: And did you record together or how did, how did um, We did
2: both, that? actually. So there were times where we would literally sit like we were recording a podcast and we would just dictate to, you know, either Rev or whatever. There were other times where Susan's like, oh, this is my section. I'll just go through and start writing it. Um, and the funny thing is um, she, she found it to be more difficult to actually then go back and traditionally write it out. So I think it was like, I don't know, it was one night. Yeah. Um. She tried for a couple hours to go through and write it. And then she's like, you know what? Forget it. Put on her head, close the door, put on her headphones, recorded it in like 40 minutes and had the draft done. So like, I think that's a great testament to how powerful this technique is um, to getting that first draft out, which we all know is never great, but yep. it's at least getting the ideas out there. Um, so that you can start to polish it and do editorial and, and really get it to where it needs to be.
0: Yeah. And Lamont always talks about that um, because I'm going to be family friendly, that that not so great first draft. Um, I think she uses a much more colorful expletive. <laughs> um, but she talks about that and mm-hmm. then how you go and kill your darlings. It's a lot easier if you didn't have to put as much work into putting it down, quite honestly. And I will say I have a tendency when I'm writing to start to, oh, no, no, let me go re-edit that. Let me go re-edit that. And when you're talking, you can get that stream of consciousness and getting it out as opposed to getting too precious about your work.
1: Yeah, I, I also have used that strategy. And, uh, of course, um, Scott is quoted in the article over on authenticstorytelling.net forward slash blog, uh, some of the tips on how you can do that. Um, do you, what's, uh, you, did you do that on your computer or did you, uh, do, you do it on your phones or where do you? What it was mostly through
2: use, the computer. Um, we used um, Google Docs online. We also use Microsoft Office online because yeah. uh, there's the dictation feature. Um, One thing that we did notice is when you're dictating to those, um, it's literally just a block of copy. So a lot of times punctuation wasn't there, paragraphs weren't there, things (laughs) like that. Um, So when we would do the audio um, that we had previously recorded, we'd do that through Rev. And it was nice because you get time codes, you get you know breakups of the different speakers. So it was a lot easier to find content. So if I had to do it again, I'd probably do everything through Rev or a system like that. Um, and they do have the phone version of Rev so you can just, you know, dictate to it and then it'll transcribe it for you. Um, but it just, it's a great way, or at least I've found it to be a great way, um, to really help me get my ideas out. Um, which like I said, otherwise would have taken weeks, if not months, um, plus procrastination and doubting myself if it was actually going to be a good thing. Um, you know, when doing things more traditionally, so.
0: Yeah, I will say um, as a writer, one of the things I have learned to do is to do a combination of dictation and then also having my keyboard at the ready so that I can start putting in my line breaks and at least starting to frame things up a little bit or my punctuation. Um, That helped me a lot. Um, So I will open up Microsoft Word, I'll have my mic going, and then I kind of do a combination, (coughs) um, which in some ways I realize is is a little more power user, but it did help me be able to at least break paragraphs apart, like Scott had mentioned. I will also say that if you're using Rev, um, it does pick up everything. So we have a lot of outtakes from (laughs) things where we were just recording and say our dog started barking and that's more entertaining than anything. I actually started copying those out and putting them in a separate document of like outtakes because some of them are pretty, pretty hilarious to see what came in there.
1: And, you know, what's interesting is uh, it's not one or the other, yep. right? You can use a mix. You can use um, them together. I was just thinking about that. This year, probably most of my writing has actually been mm-hmm. on a keyboard, the more I think about it, um, in my office. But it's, but it's been different this year, right? Yep. Have, everybody's at home. Uh, I'm trying to move from different locations. I don't want to be in one spot all the time. So I'm probably more prone to do that on a keyboard but if I'm walking on my treadmill, I might be voice mm-hmm. dictating on my phone, right, or uh, in Google Drive. I, I, I do, I do that. I've I done that as well. Um, what other things um, have we um, neglected to cover? Anything else that we, we should make sure to talk
0: about? I think um, one of the big points that, um, and you've actually echoed this quite a bit, is that through blueprints and even Google Actions and through all of those things, it's very easy to create a voice experience. The challenge comes in creating great voice experiences. Um, And as we're learning and we're pulling them out, that's then where um, it's important to think about your audience. And it isn't just a matter of throwing it up there. It's about putting that there. And I think the other important point that um, I don't think we've, we've driven home as hard is, It's not about hitting home runs these days. It's not about the killer app because in a lot of ways voice itself is that killer app. Um, And so it's how you're using it and starting small with something and and maybe small might not the right word, but it is about having a simple value prop of if you use this voice experience, it will do X. Like you said, you can listen, you can get a snippet of my book. You can purchase my book or you can do those, those interactions by making them um, simple, you're able to build user trust because then you deliver on it and then you're going to try it again versus your earlier experience where when you were in the car, you were trying to do things and there was a lot going on and it didn't, wasn't always successful. So you have to kind of build that trust up so that way then um, you can go from there. So we're still in the days of um, very uh, not basic but simple value props of I will do this for you and give you a reason to use it. And then when you deliver on it, then you can start to expand and get a little more complicated.
1: And when you talk about blueprints, those are basically templates. So you don't have to build your, your skills from, from the ground up. Correct, And and it's a way of making it so that
0: you don't have to have an IS, um, an information sciences degree or a computer science degree to be able to create some of these experiences. Because a lot of times, um, you know, simple question and answer or just, you know, frequently asked questions are truly frequently asked questions. You'll find that out um, when you do see how many times people are using or what they're asking in a skill um, or an action. Those are, um, those do, those take miles. I mean, those those go a long way. Um, they may not be the fanciest, but they do have a lot of value when they do their thing, you know, when it's a successful experience.
2: Yeah, the only thing that I would add is, When we talk about voice and Susan kind of alluded to this with like the idea of sonic branding, we have the opportunity to actually define what our brands sound like. And so, you know, the idea of voice and tone, and and this is something your audience will really appreciate. We've been talking about that for years and it was always like word choice and, you know, really how we write our content. Well, now we literally mean what is the voice of your brand? What is the tone of your brand? Is it a US uh, English speaker? Is it a British English speaker, male, female, like dialect and all those things now become part of the conversation. So what used to be this like conceptual thing that we would talk about is now something that's physically manifesting as your brand. And so it's a really big opportunity, especially without the visual cues for you to start to define what your brand sounds like and create a library of sounds um, so that if there's like a positive interaction, let's say it plays a certain sound. If there's something that maybe it doesn't know the answer to, it gives you kind of a, a descending sound or whatever. Those are all ways that you can actually reinforce your brand within these experiences. But once you do that, it also can translate to computer or to uh, television commercials. It could translate to podcasts. If you have a physical in store um, location, you can actually apply that sonic system to that as well. So I think that's one thing that marketers and brands really need to start thinking about is not only what does your brand look like and stand for, but what does it sound like? And that's something we really haven't had to contend with except maybe in TV.
1: Yeah. Very interesting. Don't use your TV anchor yeah, voice. Because that's very monotone. Um, do uh, I guess this question sh- should have been, could have been in the voice production uh, section that we talked about. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was at the Adobe Summit in uh, Las Vegas, and one of their VPs talked about how his prediction, and they mm-hmm. were working on it, but it was very early on, that you could stand here or sit at your desk and you could say, uh, you can give voice commands to mm-hmm. edit video or design something. Um, do you? Um, what's your opinion on that? Do you think that's going to take so, off and work? So, well,
2: so I, I no. think it will. And the only reason I think it will is because every time we say something will never work, ultimately people adopt it. Um, Much like the early days of texting. If you remember, it used to be like press seven four times to get a T or whatever. Um, It seemed really difficult at the time, Mm -hmm. but then the technology progressed and smartphones came out and then all of a sudden everyone was using it. I think there's going to be a lot of things that right now, even two years from now, like right now we can't fathom that we'll be doing like voice texting effectively, or we'll be able to talk to our computers in an office environment and get information. We'll be able to, you know, do keyboard shortcuts effectively by just using our command or voice. I think that is going to be something that's pervasive. And and I believe it's Adobe XD. They actually did add the ability to do voice commands already. Um, So Mm -hmm. clearly Adobe is committed to that. Uh, I think it's just a mental shift that we have to go through and train our brain to actually, instead of you know pressing Command Shift S or whatever, that we just say the command. Um, and you know, obviously, there's going to be a little bit of uncomfortableness up front, especially if you're in an office environment um, of speaking out those types of commands. But you know, when you sit in an open air office, people are on speakerphone all the time, or they're on the phones all the time, anyways. So I do think it's one of those things where. We can't fathom it just because we've not done it. But once we start experiencing it, and it is easier, um, and it speeds up the production value, you're, you're going to adopt it.
1: Yeah, I no doubt. I mean, you, you, who would have thought ten yeah. years ago that we are recording podcasts right. today right. with our iPhone? <laughs> right. Um, fantastic, great discussion, uh, Scott and Susan Westwater. Uh, You can check out their book, Book voicestrategybook.com. Any other places where people can connect? Sure. I mean, we're we're both
2: very active on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Um, So you can find us there. I'm at Scott Westwater and Scott has one T. And
0: then I'm at SJW75.
2: And that's on Twitter. And then we also have a program um, that we've partnered with an agency out of London called Vixen Labs. Um, And it's a program called Voicemasters. And it's really designed to help the business community understand what voice is, understand the nuances of voice search. Um, And so we've got some courses available. So if anyone's interested in learning a little bit more, if you go to voicemasters.ai, you can really start to to understand what this is and hopefully get your business on the way to uh, a voice future.
1: Fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for all the insights and uh, I'm sure this episode will be quoted at Content Marketing be- World <laughs> plenty of times uh, because, <laughs> because I'll do that. Um, if you have not registered yet, guys, for Content Marketing World, it's in October this year. First time it's moved out of September. Uh, trap $100, $100 off and hope to see you there. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks again.
0: That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.